Amen. All right. Well, turn to Matthew chapter 16. Now that you got your belly full and you're relaxed, content, but just trying to stay awake. And we're going to try and conclude what we've been looking at of the perpetuity of the Lord's churches. Matthew 16, again verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind in earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever shall be loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So we've been looking at the perpetuity of the Lord's churches. You know, this promise is also reiterated for us in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21. And that's part of it right there in that mural. But Ephesians 3.21 says, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So there again he's talking about there would be glory in the churches of Christ. I believe the word church here is used in an institutional sense as it is often in the book of Ephesians. Uh, there would be glory in the churches, Lord's churches, throughout the ages. And, of course, we believe that uh, as Baptists that that has been true. There have always been true Bible-believing churches uh, down through the age of time up until even our present uh, day. Uh, you know, and one of the things we talked about was the influence, of course, of we looked at the hist- what historians say about it, even our enemies. And of course, we talked about the influence of uh, fundamentalism and evangelicalism and uh, the damage of the universal church philosophy. You know, again, if you just keep in mind this this way, the kingdom of God, when the Bible refers to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it's the same thing. It refers to all those who are saved that are part of, who have been born again, and really are part of the family of God. Ephesians 3 talks about the family of God of whom all that are in heaven and earth are named. So that's talking about all those that are in the kingdom of God. But the church is not the kingdom. And see, Catholicism says the church and the kingdom are the same. Therefore, then if we are a kingdom, then some of us should be kings, right? And this is how they justify state churches and using the church to legislate uh, morality or, or legislate conduct uh, in their churches. You know, what we read in Scripture is, Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say, you have to do this and you have to do that. He said, follow me. Come. You know, it's an invitation. It's, it's, it's of your free will. And that's a Baptist distinctive, is the free will of man, uh, you know, soul liberty, we call it. 
So the kingdom would be all those subjects who are born again. Jesus said in John 3, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But a church is those who join together by baptism in an assembly like this. A visible, local assembly. A body of Christ. And again, a body is that which makes life visible. So if you can keep those things in mind, it will help you. Um, you know, we believe that the, bo- the church is a body, uh, body of Christ. Each church is a body of Christ. You know, a visible assembly of baptized uh, believers assembled together to carry out the Great Commission. So you know, one of the things we talked about was that when, univer- when uh, fundamentalism uh, came on the scene and a lot of independent Baptists got involved with fundamentalism, uh, one of the things, the essentials that was dropped was baptism. Mode of baptism. Who had authority to baptize? Uh, nowadays, you know, you can get a mission board or a Bible college. Some Bible colleges even baptize. Um, I know evangelists, you know, who baptize. It's just, and those, those things aren't found in the scriptures. You know, when we say, when I say evangelists, we're talking about men who go around from church to church, preach weeks of meetings, or go to Bible camps and preach weeks and Bible camps. I knew evangelists at a Bible camp that baptized, and uh, some were not very happy because that, that, that authority is given to the churches, not to an evangel- a guy that travels around preaching in different churches. So these were the things that came on the scene, came, that became, uh, that Baptists compromised with for the sake of unity uh, for this movement called fundamentalism. And of course, fundamentalism also, as we mentioned, the... They believe that the church started at Pentecost. Therefore, the Gospels are really uh, part of the Old Testament, and we don't take doctrine from the Gospels because it's part of the Old Testament. But you know, we believe that Jesus started his church, so it started with the beginning of the New Testament. It started with John. John the Baptist baptized the first disciples who then turned around and followed the Lord because John preached the same Gospel we preach. Baptism and repentance. You need to believe on the one who is coming? And, and, of course, John was the one that pointed him out. And when John pointed him out, you know, Andrew and Peter and Nathaniel and Philip and all those guys turned around and left John and followed Jesus. And they never went back to John. They followed Jesus. They became his disciples. Um, so that was the beginning of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And so just some things as we think about this, as we... we try to close this up tonight, uh, this afternoon. Uh, baptism re- re- reveals belief in the work of Christ, and I, and I went over some of this uh, yesterday, that you know, Jesus' baptism revealed to Israel the work that he would do by his death and resurrection, provide salvation to every sinner who would repent, and show it by baptism. And baptism, of course, pictures death, burial, and resurrection. And, uh, and and this is, this is a true mark of a true church. Now, some of the distinctions of a true church uh, would be, and I'm going to give a few of these, would be, first of all, a regenerate church membership. Uh, by regenerate church membership, we believe those that are saved and baptized and added to the church. You know, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, the same day, you know, as, uh, uh, that's... that's that's not how I want to start out here. Uh, 241. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So, so again, if this is, this is the day of Pentecost, if 
again, you know, it says they were added. What were they added to? They were added to the church that was already started. You see, fundamentalists say this is when the church started. But how do you add to something that's not in existence? Um, so, so they added unto them, they added the number of the 120. We read about that in chapter 1. Uh, they added unto them uh, 3,000 souls. Uh, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen again tells us, uh, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So well, there's only one spirit of God, and when we get born, or born again, he directs us to be baptized in water baptism, and we're baptized into the body. So baptism is entrance not into the kingdom of God. That's salvation. We enter the kingdom of God when we get saved. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So when you get saved, the moment you got saved, you're in the kingdom of God or in the family of God. When you're baptized, you enter a church, a local church. So that's your entrance into a local church. Uh, and so, and again, baptized, baptism, uh, I mentioned this, is, is the visual aid of what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15, he, he talks about buried uh, and resurrected with Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Uh, it was part of the preaching of Philip. It was part of the preaching of the apostles as well. So, scriptural baptism. We'll look this afternoon at the requirements for scriptural baptism. Now, one other thing I want to mention here. This great commission, of course, this, this was a commission, or this was part of the great commission, and it was given uh, to, to the uh, uh, disciples, or to the church, actually, to the first church. And uh, in Acts chapter, uh, here in, chapter, in verse 18, it says, And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then verse 19 says this, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be, loose, shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now i got a question for you. It's kind of tricky. So who are the keys given to? Now, fundamentalists will tell you the keys were given to Peter. But notice what's spoken of here. It's speaking of binding or loosing membership in a church. Does a pastor have that authority? Look at chapter 18. Go to chapter 18. You know, all scripture has to agree with scripture. Chapter 18. Verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, and go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, then let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth, Shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever shall you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now again, we're talking here about basically you know, we're talking about voting somebody in or voting somebody out. That's what binding and loosing is. If you're binding somebody, you're voting them out. Or if you're loosing, I mean you're voting them out. If you're binding them, making them setting them in the body, that's binding them as a member of the Lord's church. Now it says here, tell it unto the church. If you neglect to hear the church, then he shall be unto as a heathen man and a publican. And whatsoever 
you might say the church shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever the church shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So again, I asked you in chapter 16, verse 19, when he says, I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou loose. Is it Peter or is it church? It's the church. Peter did not have. And see, this is where the Catholics get their idea that Peter was the first pope. Because he had the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, every pastor has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Is that true? No. It's the church that has the authority. The Great Commission was not given to pastors. It was not given to individuals. It was given to the churches. Given to the churches. So, as we think about these things, all the authority is in the churches. It's not in one man. It's not in one man. Um... You know, and, and I've talked to, you know, fundamentalists, universal church guys, and, and you know, there's one guy who doesn't even have church membership, and I said, how do you do church discipline? He said, I just get up and told him to leave. And then he says that people like me are dictators. I missed something somewhere. I do not have that authority to tell Linda Smith that she needs to leave. That she can no longer be a member here. I don't have that authority. Nor would you want me to. Thank you. No. They're voted in, you're voted in by a vote of the church, and you can only be removed by a vote of the church. The authority, see, rests with the church. The, the Great Commission was not given to pastors, it was given to churches. So it's the, it's the churches that have, the churches that are faithful, that have authority to baptize. So as we think about scriptural baptism, baptism, again, is a visual aid of the gospel. There's several things that are, are in mind. First of all, a proper candidate means somebody who has repented and been born again. Uh, you know, Jesus dealt with you know, uh, uh, those who wanted salvation but weren't willing to give up uh, their sin and so, you know, they wouldn't be baptized. Of course, John the Baptist also, you know, chided with the Pharisees who came to him for baptism. But he said, he said, you need to do works, meet for repentance. In other words, they wouldn't repent of their sins, so he would not baptize them. Um, you know, we don't, and we don't believe in, we don't believe in sprinkling uh, or, or baptizing babies because it's not believers' baptism. Uh, and, you know, as we think about regenerate church membership, this also strikes that, okay, we need to, people need to have an understanding of what it means to repent and believe. Uh, you know, I mentioned this, I think, last week again, that one of the things that Jesus did was he, he would address, he would address specifically sins in people's lives to see whether they would truly repent, like the rich run ruler. Go sell all the hats. Come follow me. And he wasn't willing to do it. Now, the woman at the well, he addressed her moral, moral life, and she was willing to do that. And it showed her repentance. You know, one of the, in fundamentalism, you know, we were taught not to get sidetracked. When you're witnessing somebody, don't get sidetracked with questions. You know, I, I heard a, a guy who was supposed to be his greatest soul winner, you know, ever, Carl Hatch. Carl Hatch. Yeah. Anyway, he said, sinners don't have questions. Don't answer their questions. 
Just tell them you'll answer the question afterwards. Sinners don't have questions. Well, the sinners I've talked to have lots of questions. How can you know what sin is if you don't address what it is? And, uh, you know, a lot of sinners I've spoken to recently, well, can I live together and get saved? You know, can I continue smoking and drinking and get saved? You know, if you aren't willing to repent of all those things, if you aren't willing to turn away from all those things, you're not willing to repent. And so, you know, again, this demonstrates to repentance. And so, believers' baptism. Of course, biblical baptism, you have to have the proper method of baptism or proper mode. Uh, Romans chapter 6 and verses 4 through 6, I believe, again, spell this out very clearly. And, you know, this isn't hard to understand if you take the Bible for what it says. Romans 6, verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism and death, like Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have planned together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now, you know, I always thought, even when I was in the fundamentalist camp, I remember I went to a baptism of a relative of mine, and the pastor, who was a fundamentalist, he asked me to, to have like a little message about baptism, at this baptism. And, uh, and so I read from Romans chapter 6 here in verse 4 through 6, and I said that baptism pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and, and what it means is that we're dying to self when we're resurrecting to new life. And after I was done, he made some comment about the fact that, that you know, really what that means is we're, we're baptized, you know, spiritually into the body. We're immersed into the body of Christ, the universal church. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand the local church issue at that time, but I thought to myself, that don't make sense. Something wrong with that picture. No. Proper method is we are buried with him by our baptism. In other words, we're identifying him. When, when we are willing to be buried in water, we are identifying, recognizing, or saying that I believe in Jesus' burial, death for me, and I am burying myself, and, and I'm going to resurrect to walk after the Lord Jesus Christ, not after my own will. It's a, it's a picture of dying to self and resurrecting to new life in Christ. And, and testifying that I believe that Jesus died and was resurrected to give me life. You know, pouring a little water on your head doesn't demonstrate that. Sprinkling a baby doesn't demonstrate that. And you know, sprinkling a baby doesn't demonstrate believers' baptism. Babies don't know. So it requires a proper method. And it requires a proper motive. And again, that is to declare the world that I have repented of my sin and received Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. You know, this was the purpose of John's preaching and the baptism of Jesus to declare or reveal the purpose of God in Christ. It was revealed to Israel that the purpose of Christ here is, the purpose of the Son of God coming and being a man is, so that He, that he is going to die and resurrect to new life. He's going to die for the penalty of your sins, is going to resurrect to give you life. 
The life of God. That's the picture. And, and this is what Peter, by the way, Peter tells Cornelius this in Acts chapter 10 when he goes to Cornelius. And this is an illustration that Peter uses in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. It says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, I say you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism of John. How that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in the Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. So, so this, was, this was the reason of John's baptism was to reveal or declare to the world the purpose of God in Christ when he baptized Jesus. So baptism then, the motive is a declaration of new life. A declaration of new life. The life of God. Then fourthly, a proper administrator. And a proper administrator for baptism is a New Testament church. And again, Matthew 28 verse 18 through 20. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, so we need to ask ourselves a question. Like I said, who is this given to? Is it given to the apostles? Well, it's given to the apostles. They're gone. Is it given to individuals? Can anybody just go out and uh, baptize and and uh, and so on? Uh, you know, you know, Bible college, you know, graduates and you know, people sent out by mission boards and and all that. You know, does that does that fit the pattern we see revealed in the scriptures? Or is it giving to the church and all succeeding churches down through the ages of time? And this is the pattern we see in the scriptures. What we see in the scriptures is church to, churches baptizing people and then sending some out with authority to take the gospel to other places and they go with the authority from that church to start other churches. And of course we see this Philip sent out of the church of Jerusalem. He went down to Samaria and preached the gospel. He went into other places. We know from Acts chapter 13 that Paul and Barnabas were sent out from the church in Antioch. And this is where it's very plainly, well, even before that, Barnabas was sent from the church Jerusalem to the church at Antioch. Because some of the people from Jerusalem, some believers from the church of Jerusalem upon the persecution, went to Antioch, preached the gospel, people got saved. So the church sent a pastor to establish the church. And with authority to establish the church. And so they sent Barnabas over there. Barnabas later went to Tarsus and brought Saul on staff at the church in Antioch. And then we know there were others on staff at the church in Antioch because it grew very, very, very quickly. And there was Manaus and uh, Herod the Tetrarch and all the different ones there that were, and then the Spirit said, separate me, 
Saul and Barnabas for the work whereunto I called them. And they sent them out with authority to go as evangelists or missionaries, we call them, and evangelize people, baptize them into a church, start churches. See, this is the pattern we see in the scriptures, that churches have authority to baptize and send out. Just churches. Not mission boards or Bible colleges. You know, this, this thing of authority is important. Jesus walked 60 miles from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. A man sent from God. John had authority from God. And of course that authority is passed, passed from John to Jesus, from Jesus to the disciples in the first church, and, and then passed from church to church. See, authority rests in the church, not the pastor. Not a pastor. So, again, you know, Jesus didn't even baptize, by the way. He didn't baptize his disciples. John did. In fact, in Acts, and John 4 tells us that Jesus baptized not, but his disciples. So Jesus authorized his disciples to baptize in that first church. So, you know, this is scriptural baptism. Another mark of a true New Testament church is the practice of church discipline. And, and of course, we read a little bit about that uh, in the, there in Matthew 16, 18, and Matthew 18. But, you know, the practice of church discipline is really the process of making a disciple. It's a process of making a disciple. You know, a person that doesn't want to be a disciple, sooner or later they're going to be removed. They're going to be removed from the discipleship group. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I remember Gary Forney saying one time, you can't disciple an unsaved person. Now, he's talking about somebody who made a profession, but it wasn't genuine. And he said, you try to disciple him, and it just doesn't work. Again, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So, but really, what church discipline is, you know, discipline is, is we get, discipline comes from the word disciple. And, you know, discipline, or a disciple is one who disciplines himself or is disciplined. And, and so, really, that's, that's, you know, those are the people, the disciples are those who will be discipled. They will learn. They will grow. They will accept truth. And, and you see, the purpose of church discipline is to reveal those who are not truly saved. In other words, they won't accept Bible authority. They won't hate. You know, they, they may go along with some things for a time, but sooner or later, it's going to reveal themselves there's something that they, that's, that's taught that they will, not, they will not accept from the Scriptures. And then they'll have to be removed. Or they'll desire to be removed. So, and, and see, if you, if you don't have a if you don't ha- if you ha- don't have a local church view 
if you have a universal church view, this greatly weakens church discipline. Now, we grew up, my wife and I grew up in central Pennsylvania, and there's lots of independent Baptist churches in that area that, you know, are 15 miles from each other. Sort of like here. We got them here, too. And so, and of course, I don't know that any of them, I don't know any of them that are a local church. And you know what happens over the years? There's many people that go from one church to another, to another, to another, to another. I know some people that have been in three, four churches. And they're supposedly in members in good standing still. Something wrong with this picture. If you have a problem in one church, you know, if you're a local church, if you have a problem in one church, you have a problem in all churches. Because the ethical thing is, if you're a local church, the authority rests in the church, and you leave a church. You know, when somebody comes here, you know what we do? We call the pastor of the former church. Okay, why are they coming? Now, there are, there are just causes for leaving churches. But many times, the reasons people leave churches are not biblical. So, so when, a pers- when a church ceases uh, to... Um, well, let me give you an illustration here of authority. Go to Acts chapter 1. And why I say Peter did not have authority. Acts chapter 1. Okay, verse 15. Now, I believe Peter was the first pastor after the resurrection of Christ of the church there in Jerusalem. Acts 1.15. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us, had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with a reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. This is a quotation in the Old Testament. Uh, verse, verse 20, and it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, inasmuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Alcadema, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and no man dwell therein. And his bishopric, or his pastor, he was considered one of the pastors, Judas, even though he was lost, let his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, these men which have accompanied with us in all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John. So, you know, we're talking clear back to the baptism of John. Again, he's saying this is when we started. Unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So, and they appointed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Mattathias. And they prayed and said, Lord... Thou who knowest the hearts of all men, show whether these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, he might go to his own place. And they gave forth, they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Mattathias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So Peter didn't hold the keys, and he just didn't say, Well, Mattathias, we want you to be one of us. No, there was a vote. There was a vote. Um, and so, you know, this is the first first church business meeting, you might say. And, of course, Judas was really 
voted out. Of course, he, had, he hung himself anyway, but he was voted out. And Mattathias was voted in his place. And, but, but, you know, again, the practice of church discipline is the process of making disciples. And when a church ceases to practice church discipline, apostasy will begin. Because what you're doing is tolerating sin. When a church starts to tolerate sin, apostasy sets in. And the church will begin corrupt. And therefore, unsaved members will become commonplace. You see, churches that cease to practice church discipline will receive members from other churches without proper letters of transfer or consent. And again, this is a rejection of church authority. We have members left here and have joined other churches. And I haven't gotten one phone call. Neither did Pastor Webb. Before me. See, that's a rejection, really, of our authority as a church. And the fruit of this is that people no longer have to confront their sin. They can just go to another church where it's accepted. They don't, they don't have to continue in growth. That's really what this boils down to. We're talking about discipleship, discipline. So they don't have to continue in growth. See, God's plan for every child of God is that they continue to grow. Continue to grow. And that requires discipline. And so when a church ceases to practice church discipline, I believe that church ceases to be a New Testament church. I was visiting church up in Virginia some years ago and he had been to a Soul of Lord conference and he said uh, you know these Soul of Lord conferences they have these big name speakers and they always have these panel discussions where you have these certain guys on a, on a, a, you know on the platform and you can ask questions so he said I raised my hand and I said what about church discipline he said it got real quiet. And finally, one of them said, We don't. And that one of them was Paul Chapel, Lancaster Baptist Church. He said, We just, we just uh, keep preaching, and sooner or later they leave. You know, when I was pastoring in Maine, and we had an issue come up in the church for a lady that moved in with her boyfriend. And I went to see her, talked to them about it, and the, the man had just made a profession about a month before that. And, um, and you know, I talked to them about it, and I said, uh, you know, why don't you just get married? I said, well, we can't afford it. I said, what's so expensive going down to the justice peace? Where I said, I'll marry you. Yeah, you can come to the house. You can come to the church. And, you know, 
my wife and we can have another couple be witnesses and I'll marry you. Because I, I really thought both of them were saved. But see, they wanted to have this wedding, big wedding with all family and all this stuff. And, and I said, well, I said, you can't afford to live together because you're under the curse of God. Marriage is honor and all, but the bed undefiled, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And I said, furthermore, the lady was a member of our church. He was not. I said, if you don't repent of this, we're going to have to remove you from membership. One of the ladies in church suggested we put her on probation. I said, well, the problem we'll have with that is I don't find that in the scriptures. See, that's what the guy before would do. He would put him on probation. You see, the issue was she didn't want to be a disciple. She wanted to do what she wanted to do. She didn't want to follow the Lord. Oh, she wanted to have Christ, but she really didn't want to follow the Lord. She didn't want to obey God. Jesus said, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? See, church discipline is a mark of true churches, and the authority rests in the church. You know, a New Testament church is one that, you know, adheres to you know, proper baptism. In a New Testament church, uh, the proper authority is a church that's been started by a church. But that, that again, that authority rests with the church, not with the pastor. So, as we think about it, the conclusion to this is, you know, we, it, what it shows us is the importance of the local church. And I shouldn't even say use that word local because there only is one kind of church in the Bible, and that's a local one. But if you, if you hold the universal church model, then the local church is secondary. As long as I'm saved and part of the universal church, it really doesn't matter which church I go to. But Paul told the Corinthians that you're set in the body. God has a place for you in one of his churches. And when he puts you there, you need to stay there. You need to stay there. Unless, like Paul and Barnabas, the church sends you out. But you need to stay there and grow and serve. That's God's plan. And see, his authority is not the universal. No, his authority is the church. It is the pillar and ground of the truth. And um, we need to understand the importance of the church. Let's pray.